Welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. My name is Stuart Haynes, the host of the iFormerX podcast, and we've got a terrific episode today. We're experimenting with a new podcast format, which I hope you'll like. Our goal is to make our podcast episodes more interactive by engaging in a panel discussion about the implications and application of new evidence. So let's get started. As you are well aware, the incidence of type 2 diabetes has nearly doubled in the past two decades as we collectively, as a society, become more sedentary and overweight. Women of childbearing age are not immune to these societal trends, and the number of women with type 2 diabetes during pregnancy, as well as those who develop gestational diabetes, has likewise skyrocketed in recent years. And pregnancy outcomes for both mother and child are clearly linked to achieving good glycemic control during pregnancy. Along with lifestyle changes and careful attention to food intake, insulin is a cornerstone of treatment for diabetes during pregnancy and remains the drug of choice due to our longstanding experience using insulin. Now, while insulin therapy is very effective, it's not without risks, and it's more difficult to manage than oral medications. Over the past decade, there has been a growing body of literature regarding the use of metformin and sulfonylureas during pregnancy. And most of these studies have been relatively small, but generally favorable. Most clinicians and guidelines, however, have been reluctant to recommend oral therapies simply because there has been no clear advantage over insulin therapy other than patient convenience. And the safety of these alternative approaches is not well established yet. When I saw a recent study published in the October 2020 issue of Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology, which compared metformin plus insulin to insulin therapy alone in pregnant women with type 2 diabetes, I felt it deserved a closer look. And here to talk about the MIDI study are Mallory Talese, Hugh Quinn, Aaron Rainey, and Rebecca Stone. Dr. Talese recently joined the faculty at the Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, and Dr. Quinn is the PGY2 Endocrinology Pharmacy Practice Resident at Albany Medical Center and the College of Pharmacy. Together, Dr. Talese and Quinn wrote a commentary about the MIDI study, which we've posted on the iFormerX website. And joining them are Dr. Aaron Rainey from Midwestern University College of Pharmacy in Glendale, Arizona, and Dr. Rebecca Stone from the University of Georgia College of Pharmacy in Athens. Dr. Rainey and Dr. Stone have a strong interest in women's health and have been longtime contributors to iFormerX. So Mallory, Hugh, Aaron, Becca, it's great to have all of you on the iFormerX podcast today. Thank you for having us, Stuart. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Looking forward to the conversation. Excited to be here today, Stuart. So as I indicated earlier, we're experimenting with a new format for the iFormerX podcast. And before we talk about the MIDI study, I want to get a better sense of what the current recommendations are, the current art and science of taking care of women with diabetes during pregnancy. Many of our listeners probably don't interact with a, a lot of women of childbearing age and might not be aware of the current recommendations for treating diabetes during pregnancy. So Erin, Becca, could you give us a brief overview? What are the fundamental concepts and key recommendations for treating women with diabetes during pregnancy? 
Well, whether a woman has pre-existing type 1 or type 2 diabetes or gestational diabetes, we know that optimizing glucose control is necessary to get the best pregnancy outcomes for both the mom and the baby. Um, tight glucose control reduces the risk for neonatal morbidity and mortality, sp uh, spontaneous abortion, and fetal malformations and macrosomia. We know that pregnancy is generally a state of insulin resistance and that insulin requirements often change across each trimester. And we do have vast historical experience with insulin during pregnancy. And because it doesn't cross the placenta and allows for easier titration of dosing, it is generally supported by the ADA and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists as the treatment of choice in these situations. Yes, Stuart, and like Erin noted, tight glucose control increases the likelihood of having a healthy pregnancy and baby. Many women will require insulin in order to achieve this level of tight control, particularly those who have diabetes that occur before pregnancy. Because insulin requirements change throughout the pregnancy, frequent medication, assessment, and dose adjustments are needed. And I think that because of those factors, pharmacists are well-trained to provide this aspect of care as part of the obstetrics team. So, Aaron or Becca, are there any differences in patient management approach if a patient is diagnosed with diabetes prior to pregnancy, whether that be type 1 or type 2 diabetes, or if she's diagnosed with gestational diabetes during her pregnancy? Well, we do know that gestational diabetes, just like type 1 and type 2 diabetes, um, benefits from a multifaceted approach, um, includes diet modifications, physical activity, and close blood glucose monitoring. Um, sometimes with gestational diabetes, lifestyle modifications may be enough to manage the glucose levels in that desirable range. And while this is also sometimes possible with type 2 diabetes, most often we'll see women requiring medications for management of their type 2 diabetes prior to pregnancy and then needing to continue those on during pregnancy. And then, of course, with type 1 diabetes, insulin is always required in addition to those healthy lifestyle choices. And I think another important point to consider is that women with diabetes in pregnancy um, will have differing levels of patient education. So women diagnosed with gestational diabetes for the first time probably aren't going to have any prior experience taking chronic medications or self-monitoring their blood sugars. I mean, of course, education is an important component for all women with diabetes during pregnancy, but those specifically with gestational diabetes might be hearing the information for the first time and require more intensive education or support. Insulin is considered the drug of choice during pregnancy, but are there times when alternative drug therapies are recommended? We absolutely do need alternatives to insulin in various scenarios. Um, we know that the high cost of insulin can be a concern for a lot of patients, and some women just refuse to use an injectable medication. We also often require multiple daily injections of insulin, and that can really make adherence difficult for some women. And with that, then that limits the opportunity to get that maximal benefit from the insulin. And then, as we know, higher insulin requirements can be associated with weight gain, and that can interfere really with the maintenance of a healthy rate of weight gain during pregnancy for some women. I want to echo Erin's comments about cost here. So most pharmacists realize that insulin is very expensive. Um, fortunately, most women who are uninsured are able to access Medicaid benefits during pregnancy, which can help attenuate issues related to cost. 
So Hugh, in the commentary you wrote for iFormerX, you reviewed the study entitled Metformin in Women with Type 2 Diabetes in Pregnancy, MIDI, a multi-center international randomized placebo-controlled trial. And we provide a link to that paper on the iFormerX website. But can you give us a brief synopsis of the study methods and the key findings? Yeah, sure. So the MIDI trial looked at pregnancy outcomes when metformin was added to a standard insulin-based treatment versus those that were treated with just insulin alone in mothers who had type 2 diabetes and became pregnant. The primary outcome they investigated was a composite of fetal and neonatal outcomes, which included pregnancy loss, preterm birth, birth injury, respiratory distress syndrome, neonatal hypoglycemia, and NICU admissions. But they also looked at some interesting key secondary um, outcomes, including maternal outcomes, such as glycemic control, need for cesarean sections, uh, gestational weight gain, and insulin dosing, and also some secondary neonatal outcomes related to measures of adiposity and gestational size. They included about 250 women in each group for this study, with a treatment group, group receiving metformin plus insulin and the comparator group receiving a placebo plus insulin. These women were aged 18 to 45 who were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and receiving insulin therapy and were between uh, 6 and 22 weeks of gestation with a singleton fetus, so no multiple births, twins, triplets, or so on. Those in the metformin group were started on metformin 500 milligrams, one tablet daily, and the dose was titrated up over a period of two weeks to two tablets, so 1,000 milligrams twice daily as tolerated. And they were asked to stay on this highest tolerated dose for the remainder of their pregnancy. Those in the placebo group followed a similar titration in order to maintain masking. They found no difference in the primary composite of fetal and neonatal outcomes, but there were a few differences in some of the secondary outcomes that they looked at relating both to the maternal outcomes and the infant adiposity outcomes. So infants in the metformin treatment group were smaller, but not just smaller, they were overall more likely to be small for gestational age, so below the 10th percentile for weight at birth. In terms of maternal outcomes that they looked at, there was a statistically significant difference in terms of overall weight gain, with mothers in the metformin group gaining less weight overall, as well as in glycemic control, with the metformin group having a lower average A1C at the end of pregnancy compared to the placebo group. And there's also a difference in total daily dose of insulin with those being treated with metformin in addition to their insulin using less units per kilogram each day. Another outcome where they did see a difference was in rates of cesarean sections with those in the metformin group uh, having reduced rates of requiring cesarean sections. So although there was no difference in the primary outcomes in this study, they did notice some interesting differences in some of the key secondary outcomes. So Mallory, one of the strengths of this particular study is the randomized and placebo-controlled design, but I'm wondering what you believe are some of the strengths and weaknesses of this study. Are there any potential sources of bias or confounders that you are concerned about that may have impacted the results? As you stated, Stuart, one of the biggest strengths of the study was that it was a randomized placebo-controlled intention-to-treat trial that focused on neonatal outcomes, which is an area of research that was lacking for metformin. Some other strengths were the large sample size and the diverse ethnic and socioeconomic patient population, which made the results more generalizable. As for the weaknesses, the study only included women with type 2 diabetes prior to pregnancy and those at high risk for type 2 diabetes during pregnancy. 
So the translation of this data to patients with gestational diabetes is unclear. In addition, 68% of patients utilized metformin in the 12 months prior to pregnancy, which could have unmasked the blinding of the study due to their familiarity with the drug. There were also several patients who experienced tolerability issues with metformin and received less than two grams per day. So the ideal dosing is unclear as well. And lastly, the authors utilized factors such as immigration status, being single, or educational attainment as measures of socioeconomic status. However, these are not validated measures. So Aaron, um, Becca, the MIDI study investigators looked at a number of maternal and fetal outcomes. The primary outcome of the study was a composite of several fetal and neonatal outcomes, and the study failed to find a difference in this primary composite outcome. But I think the individual component outcomes tell a slightly different story. So what do you believe are the most compelling findings from this study? I think that the most compelling findings are those related to weight, both uh, the birth weight of the infants and the maternal weight gain. So as was mentioned, the women using metformin did gain less weight during their pregnancy, and fewer infants were categorized as extremely large for gestational age, and there were, was a reduction in measures of adiposity as well. Uh, this usually translates into fewer neonatal outcomes requiring NICU admissions in other studies, but it didn't seem to have that impact in this one. On the other side, more infants in the metformin group were categorized as small for gestational age. This outcome can carry the risk for long-term problems such as developmental delays and risk for chronic metabolic diseases. Interestingly, we don't have the data to show whether smaller size associated with metformin use has the same risks as that related to malnutrition or substance abuse during pregnancy. So following these infants long-term will really be necessary to identify an association. I agree with Erin. The major implications are those relating to maternal and neonatal weight. However, I also think the negative findings are worth noting here. So we didn't expect to see significant safety issues with metformin, but it's reassuring that this study also found there were no differences in negative outcomes like pregnancy loss, preterm birth, or other adverse neonatal effects. With that said, I still have questions about the potential long-term effects of metformin, specifically obesity in childhood or issues associated with being small for gestational age. So I'm, I'm, this is a question to all of you. Help us put this study in context with other studies. Are the findings congruent with previous studies that have used metformin during pregnancy? Do you think metformin is safe to use during pregnancy? So compared to previous studies that have been conducted, this is the first one that was adequately powered, had a sufficient sample size, and a sound study design to assess neonatal outcomes. Previous studies were either too small to show a significant difference or assess neonatal outcomes as secondary endpoints. In terms of the safety of metformin during pregnancy, I think that there is definitely a niche population that can benefit from its use, including those with higher BMIs where we want to limit the weight gain associated with the use of insulin and in women who are unable to afford their insulin. Despite the potential utility of metformin in these populations and the safety demonstrated by the MIDI trial, I think that there are still some questions that need to be clarified, specifically the long-term risks of metformin exposure to the fetus. Although the MIDI trial showed that the fetus was small for gestational age at birth, some studies have demonstrated that fetuses exposed to metformin in utero tend to have higher BMIs later in life. So I think it's really important to further assess the implications in long-term studies. So while the data looks appealing 
and metformin is already widely used, I think that additional research is definitely needed. So in terms of safety, based upon the short-term follow-up during pregnancy, metformin does appear to have limited safety concerns, and it does have its recognizable gastrointestinal side effects that can be treatment-limiting for some. And I think this is important from a practical standpoint to allow for really a much-needed alternative to insulin for issues such as cost and adherence. Um, But I do think that it is worth noting that there are some recognizable safety concerns with women who have a risk for acidosis during pregnancy, um, such as women with hypertension or preeclampsia or placental insufficiency. And the American Diabetes Association suggests avoiding metformin in, in these situations. What I think is missing for full evaluation of safety is that long-term follow-up. I think follow-up of the children exposed to metformin for gestational diabetes or PCOS do appear to show a higher BMI and obesity rates in some of those children. When we look at studies of metformin for pre-existing type 2 diabetes, we just don't have that data as readily available yet. But there are trials uh, currently underway to look at the offspring and follow them long-term to really look at what this weight issue might be. I think that will really be the most important data for fully evaluating safety of metformin during pregnancy. Well, let's talk about the application of these findings to clinical practice. Should we routinely consider the use of metformin and insulin in patients with type 2 diabetes during pregnancy? And if so, when? Under what circumstances would you recommend metformin be used with insulin? Or perhaps it should be the other way around. That is to say, should a woman with type 2 diabetes who's on metformin continue to use it after she becomes pregnant and then add insulin as needed? Uh, Yes, I think it should be considered, or at least clinicians shouldn't be afraid to consider it, particularly in those patients that are having difficulty achieving that tight glucose control that we like to see in pregnancy or maybe in those patients that have labile blood sugars and they're swinging between high and lows, maybe metformin can help them balance things out a little bit and help prevent those swings between extreme highs and lows in blood sugars. Or even with the reduced insulin requirements, in patients that are having financial difficulties, maybe the cost saving of the reduced insulin dosing per day could make a big difference. Um, 0.4 units per day that they saw in this study reduction would be about 40 or $50 a week in a 95-kilogram patient. So for some, that could be pretty substantial and make a big impact. I do think it would be reasonable if a patient is well-controlled on metformin therapy to continue it uh, if the patient becomes pregnant and then consider adding insulin. However, with the lack of long-term data that's been mentioned a couple times in children, particularly in those with those lower birth weights, it might make me a little bit hesitant to adopt this approach. In pregnancy, we commonly look towards the tried and true medication choices during pregnancy, and I think that strongly considering insulin therapy in all candidates, including trying to switch to insulin first rather than continuation of metformin, is a good strategy. Not all women will require high doses of insulin and can therefore manage their blood sugars with monotherapy, minimizing medication exposure. However, I think as pharmacists, we all realize the most important patient consideration is often individualizing the approach for the population we're serving and the individual we're serving. So with cost, training, and multiple daily doses that go along with insulin therapy, from a practical standpoint, these can be significant barriers to care for many women, and metformin should be considered as a viable option, particularly in these situations.
Lastly, I'm wondering what you all think about these findings. Can they be applied to women with gestational diabetes? So I think the specific methods of this study were about adding metformin to existing insulin therapy. And with gestational diabetes, we're most often considering the addition of either insulin or metformin to lifestyle changes. And the combination of insulin and metformin would occur in that opposite order, maybe metformin added first, and then finding that insulin would be necessary to get additional glucose management. I think what could be applied is just the additional general safety findings of the combination of the two drugs being used together during pregnancy, but not necessarily the impact of this study's protocol on how much the A1C was lowered or that the insulin dose requirements were lowered as well. Well, Hugh, Mallory, uh, Becca, Aaron, uh, it's really great to have you all here today to discuss the use of metformin in combination with insulin during pregnancy. And I think it's clear from your comments that this is a viable option, that metformin may have some advantages for some patients when combined with insulin for those who have type 2 diabetes and who become pregnant. Well, so what do you think? Should we preferentially use metformin with insulin to reduce weight gain for both mother and child and thereby reduce the need for cesarean delivery, for example? Well, only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features on the site. If you're not already a member of iFormerX, please sign up today. It's free to healthcare professionals. You should already know this, but we've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to make many of our commentaries and podcasts available for board recertification as well as continuing education credit. And if you are a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist or thinking about sitting for the BCACP exam, check out APHA's board prep and recertification program by clicking on the link posted below the commentary on our website. And lastly, I want to thank Kate Henson, uh, clinical pharmacy specialist at the VA Nebraska Western Iowa Healthcare System in Omaha, Nebraska, for becoming the newest member of iFormerX. And I, I just approved Kate's membership this morning, and I'm so delighted that she's joined our community of practice. We hope you'll spread the word about iFormerX and perhaps contributing by writing a commentary or peer reviewing a submission or posting a comment on our website. Active participation by iFormerX members is really what helps makes this community thrive. So our goal is to hit 5,000 members by the end of 2021. So thanks, Kate, for officially joining iFormerX. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. <laughs>